Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Man, there's no better decision we can have than the decision to follow Christ. Hallelujah. That is like ultimately the best decision you can ever make in your life. I believe that 100% plus more. And that song just really stirred in my heart. Um, I came from a Muslim background, and I have never made a greater decision than to give Christ my everything. And I mean that with every fiber of my being. There is no greater decision to, to say yes to Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes? We're the saints. You guys said yes? Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. I just want to pray again because I'm scattered, right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Obrigada, Señor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pai. God, I just love you. We love you. Oh, we're so in love. That's it. We're so in love. There's no one else that's greater. God, and I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for who you are, who you are, who you are. There's never been anyone like you. There's no one ever been like you to walk the earth. There's never been anyone after you, never, never be another. You are the greatest thing to ever be given as a gift poured out for us to drink in. And so I bless you tonight, Holy Spirit. I bless you, and I just, I just want you to do whatever you want to do tonight. I bless that you would move however you want to move. I just ask that you would even just disturb even my own message. God, whatever it is, you speak and you move. Would you even speak into the hearts of those that's listening? God, it doesn't even have to be my message. Holy Spirit, you're the greatest teacher. You are our teacher, not man. You are our teacher. So we bless you tonight and we just honor you. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Papa, and we honor you, beloved. Hallelujah. Okay. Hallelujah. I just first want to honor the pastor, Pastor Henny, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I met, <laughs> I met Pastor Henny this morning, and it was so amazing to meet you. And he was just, you have such a father's heart. He literally was just like, oh, we just welcome you. We're so excited. And usually when you meet a pastor, they kind of are like sizing you up. <laughs> like, who is this person? I never met her before. Where is she coming from? Hmm. But you were just such a father, and I believe God is just using you to father this generation and that you're going to raise up other fathers because we can only produce what we are, right? So you're going to produce fathers, and you already know there's a need for fathers and mothers, like especially fathers. So men, where you at? Okay, hallelujah. So just a little bit about myself. Currently, I am a missionary um, living in Mozambique. Anyone from Mozambique or speak Portuguese? No, they don't pretend like I know how to speak Portuguese. <laughs> no, I'm still learning, though. <laughs> but um, I, I, I am a missionary with an organization there um, called, locally it's called Arco Idris, but if you know anything, it's called Iris Global, Heidi Baker, Roland Baker, those people. Um, I work with about 40 other missionaries from around the world. It's such an amazing place. With, we employ, missionaries we're not employed, but we do employ the Mozambicans with I think we have 400 employees. So it's a big campus. I oversee an incredible ministry called Stop for the One. Basically, it's Heidi's baby of to reach the multitudes, you stop for the one in front of you. So Stop for the One, I work with the most incredible kids, thousands of kids. Um, Our ministry feeds over 11,000 people every day. Um, We truly believe God to multiply food (laughs) because (laughs) there's no... (laughs) There's always enough when you trust in God. There is always enough. And he's so faithful. Um, throughout that ministry, I, I work with 
young men discipling, not I, but we focus on discipleship. Um, we have one of the best schools in the, in the area, Arco Iris um, Escola, and it has over 3,500 kids, so I work with all those kids. So me alone in my, my side of the ministry, we feed 5,000 of those. And so it's really just what God's doing there. I'm so grateful to be a part of something, not just a ministry that wants to make a name for itself, but a ministry that truly just wants to believe God for what he says in his word. And that has been my biggest hunger is to see the word come alive. And so, yeah, that's what I do. Um, I'm really passionate about intercession and prayer. That is my thing. I, I am like the little intercessor. I am like... A kid with candy just, you know, <laughs> you put me in like a room with prayer and I'm like, yo, this is home for me. Hallelujah. And so my desire is to build houses of prayer through um, mainly like in Mozambique, but in other places too where God asks me. And so that's where I'm passionate about. I'm passionate for the word. Um, the word is, was given to us. It is Christ. The word made flesh. So the word is Christ. I'm very passionate about the word. Um, I feel like my generation has kind of lightened up on the word and kind of gone more to the spiritual side of things. And so I'm like, we have to have that, that sustainability in the word. So I'm very passionate about finding roots in the word. And so, yeah, I am a Californian girl. If you haven't noticed by my English, I am from the U.S. Um, I'm from California. Love, love, love my state. It's taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of freedom in Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, I grew up in a Muslim home, uh, more of a cult. So you know how, if you don't know anything about Islam, I'll give you a little breakdown. Islam has the same kind of system that Christi- Christianity has. There's different dom- denominations, right? So you have like your Pentecostals, you have your, I don't really know, your Apostolic, Seventh-day Event, all these other ones, right? There you go. So same thing with Islam. They have their different branches. So we were the most cultish, cultish branch of Islam, that even Islamic people were like, you guys are going to hell. So, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> and so, it's part of the cult. It's called Nation of Islam. It's a cult. <laughs> Truly believe it. it's a cult. It's really good. I got out, thankfully. Um, grew up under just this household with my father. He was a very strict father, ruled with a very heavy hand and a thumb. You kind of sit when he says sit, stand when he says stand. Laugh if he wanted you to laugh, but never that. Um, <laughs> like, you know, and so I grew up on a farm, a country girl at heart. Um, but living with my father, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me hard work and it taught me the importance of like your yes. And that's what I needed. I think what the enemy meant for evil, God used for his good. And so my father, so I have two sides of family, right? I have this crazy side, which is like my mom's side. They're all drug addicts and prostitutes, not even exaggeration. The highest education is like eighth grade. I don't know what that is here, but not even secondary school. So all of them. I'm the only graduate of high school and university in that side, and I love them. I have a true heart for my family, and every time I see them, I just get filled with joy, and I'm just like partial gratitude of like, thank you, Jesus, (laughs) that you delivered me, but also just like I love the family that he's given me. You know, we get one family, and so I'm thankful. So my mother's a drug addict, brothers, everything, and All the women are prostitutes, except for me. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Then you come to the other side, where it's not so loosey-goosey, too, where it's very strict, very order, very, like, in a box, and it's it's Islam. And my father, like, 
was legit hardcore, you know? So my father was very abusive. He used to beat me a lot, very physically abusive. I have, like, scars from him. And um, mentally, mentally, it was all about controlling the mind. And um, even emotionally, I grew up most of my life never hearing I was loved. That was, like, a huge deal. My dad never once told me he loved me. Everything I did was out of, like, I need to get straight A's because he asked me, and that's, like, how I get some type of affirmation from him, like, good job, but you need to do better. And so my dad would say crazy things like my real name, Shamika. <laughs> Shamika, if you do anything wrong or if you mess up, I'll kill you, bury in the backyard, bury your body, and no one will be able to find it. So I lived in great fear majority of my life. Even when I got saved, I still lived in fear. So eventually, when I was around 12, I became a runaway. I thought my dad was going to kill me, so I ran away to another city, ran to my mother, who's the drug addict. She says she doesn't want me because she's going to find her, and he's going to kill them both. She lives, to this day, my mother is, lives in fear of my father. My father's 70. My mom's 66. She just had a birthday, 67. Hallelujah. And so she still lives in fear. That's how strong it is. And so she refused me, so I never felt loved, ever. And so my... And my mom's sister, who I call grandmother because she raised me partially, um, I just have so much love and respect for her. She took me in and she fought for me. And so I credit a lot of things to her and these two other girls who showed me Christ. And so that's kind of like my background history. I got saved at the age of 19, had a radical experience with God in a sense. Um, came out of a desperate place of, of needing something. You know, when you grow up, um, well, was that the time? Bro, that's cool. You're just like, <laughs> you know? I was wondering what that was. I was like, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> oh, that's great. Never seen that one, though. I kept looking back there. Anyways, so, <laughs> you know, I came out of this desperate place of needing something. Um, grew up without my parents wanting me. Father's so abusive. So I went from honestly living a very structured life with very strict rules um, to all of a sudden can do whatever I want. So I, I made some decisions that, that almost cost me my life. Ended up in a mental institution. So many went down a horrible path, was in a, a deep pit, really was, and, and, and was very suicidal, kept trying to kill myself, and, and God didn't allow it to happen. Thank you, Lord. But was in a dark place, very possessed, dark, 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 dark place. And, um, in 2000, in, what was it, seven, in 2007, in my little college dorm, I, I tried to kill myself again, take all these pills. I woke up the next day like, what the heck? And I fell on the ground, and I cried out to God, and I said, and it wasn't a law. There was a distinction. I knew, without knowing up here, I'm a firm believer that your mind may not know who its creator is, but your spirit man knows who created it. You can call on Allah, you can call on Buddha, you can call on this whole new age stuff, but your spirit knows his creator, and when it is ready, it will call out for your life if you allow it and answer it. And so my spirit cried out. Like, I knew when I said, Lord, I wasn't talking to Allah, I wasn't talking to any other person. I knew that I was crying out to something so powerful, and I remember laying on my floor in this, like, fetal position, kind of, like, halfway out of it, and I just kept saying, why do you keep me here when all I want to do is die? You know, Islam, like, they believe in hell, too. So it's not like I wasn't thinking I wasn't going to hell. Like, you know, I was dying without honor. So it's not, I, I knew I was going to hell. But I felt like hell 
was better than the, like, the situation I was in. There's nothing worse. I think Mother Teresa says that nothing is, like, there's no, no greater disease than, un, un, like, being unloved, like, you know, and unwanted. And so I was in that dark, dark place, cried out to God, not knowing anything about Christianity. I actually didn't like Christians, had a real problem with Christians. I would always say bad things to them, didn't have a good mouth. And I would always tell them, like, when they would say, oh, you're going to go to hell. And I'd say, yeah, I'll see you there, too. Hallelujah. Well, you know, like, I would challenge them, like, see you there, bro. Make sure you say hi to me. Like, you know, and I was so mean to them. And now I'm like, yeah, look at me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But in that moment, not knowing really any, any type of foundation for Christ, I went from believing Christ as a prophet to not knowing anything, really, and wilding out with my life, not really knowing what to believe. And in, comes my, in my room is this, like, almost like wind, like, you know? But not like dramatic, you know, not like, shh. like it was just like this peaceful wind that came into my room. And I'm like curled up and I'm sobbing because I'm really like, I just want to die. Like, I just want to die. I wanted nothing more than to die. And in that moment, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit came into my room and comforted me. And I, I just remember saying in my, in my mind and in my heart, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to be okay. At this time, I was like a huge alcoholic. I was in college. I was a, like, Division one track athlete. I didn't run. I threw, like, the javelin, the spear, you know? So, no, not a runner. But my two friends, these two girls who have known me for seven years, they, seven years, the number seven, like, seven years, they, they got radically saved after being at my party, being hungover with a legit hangover. Their drug addict prostitute mom got radically saved, and now next week, yeah, she's in front of my house honking her horn, like, Jasmine Desiree, get up. You're going to church. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 7 in the morning. What are you doing? You're crazy. And so I made fun of her. I'm like, oh, sure, you're the drug addict prostitute who got saved all of a sudden, and now you want to know God. Sure. I wasn't nice, guys. Thank God for redemption, right? (laughs) And so she dragged those two girls from my house to this church that was in revival. They were, like, legit in revival. And they get radically saved, like, Radically saved, like, I just couldn't believe it. The next morning in college, it's a Monday, I walk past him, and I'm like, how was church? Like, you know, being sarcastic like I am. And they literally looked at me and was just like, Mika, like, we've never encountered God like we did today, like yesterday. And they looked at me, and they said, we believe God's going to wreck your life. You're going to travel the world. They didn't know they were prophesying. <laughs> they never knew. They're, God's going to wreck your life. You're going to travel the world, and you're going to share your story. And you're going to know God, like, legit. And I'm looking at them, and I literally laughed at them, and I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know? Years later, nine years later, one of those friends at 28, I just buried her last month, and I was so grateful for her life. Because her little life and her obedience to witness to me when I was mean and I wasn't nice, and I talked about them and their Christian walk, and I told them, like, you're idiots. They were faithful. And she died this last, like, two months ago. And I kept saying, I'm so grateful that you said yes to God because then it made a way for me to say yes to God. It changed my life. Her life changed my life. And so I'm so thankful for Jasmine. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Because I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing and I wouldn't know God, which is the most important thing. I wouldn't know God. I would die and go to hell. And trust me, there's no place you want to go like hell. No place. I'm sure of it. Because it's void without the Lord's love, and there's nothing greater than the Lord's love. So, 2009, I walked into a church, gave my life to Christ with these girls. They 
somehow got me into the church because I was suicidal again. It was February 2009. And I, I, I called them. I called them because I saw God in their life. And I was like, what the heck? Why not? Like, you know, I have nothing else to do. Why not go to church kind of thing? And um, it was this kind of wild and crazy church that was in revival. And I just remember at turning, about to turn 19, coming from a crazy lifestyle of everything that you can think of and being called crazy, labeled in my government files as crazy. And in this moment of like 3,000 people, and I mean, the worship was like where you jump up and down and everybody's like, <laughs> and I just remember kind of like time slowly down and I was and I remember looking at my friends, one on the left, one on the right, and they're worshiping so passionately like they knew Jesus, like they knew God. And in Islam, you don't really have that. It's not like this conversation. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing. <laughs> it is what it is, like, you know? And here they are talking to God as if, like, yo, I know you. And so I'm kind of looking at them, and I'm like, whoa, okay. And so... In that moment, I remember just kind of having a window, like this window to tell the Lord. And I said, God, if you're real, show me and I'll sell my life to you. Those are my exact words. I'll sell my life to you. And, you know, for some Muslims today, if, if you don't know anything about what's happening in Islam, like just there is in this time of history of the church, there are more Muslims coming to Christ. Don't let the news fool you. There are more Muslims coming to Christ because Christ is literally walking out the wall. Like, they are seeing tangibly the man Christ. And, like, I've had people come to me and say, a man came through my wall, and he told me, you're to tell me who he is. And he was dressed in white, and he was shining. And I'm like, let's sit down and talk. <laughs> what up? Like, you know? And, it, and it's so real. Like, this, we're, we're seeing an epidemic of, of Muslims just coming to the Lord, and it's amazing what's happening. So don't let the news fool you. And in that moment, like, for me, it wasn't Christ walked out the door. Like, Christ didn't walk out the wall. <laughs> like, that would have been cool, but he didn't. In that moment, I had this moment of grace, like a window. Because Islam, they're, like, Islam kind of is like, they're seekers of truth. And that's something I still hold dear to my heart, is I'm a seeker of truth. Like, I love truth. Like, I, that's why I love, I have valued the gospel more than anything, more than miracles. I've seen more miracles from blind eyes to paralytics to, I mean, just last two weekends ago, laying my hands on a blind man and his eyes open up. And there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a man or an old man cry the first time they get their sight. There's nothing more beautiful. Like, you're just like, wow. Like, you know? And then I'm always just humbled in those moments. Like, I'm not someone that gets like, oh, yeah, Jesus. I'm just like, wow, Jesus, the fact that, like, you still do these things is amazing. But more than I value that stuff, I value the word. Because miracles will fade. They will. Tongues will fade. I, I'm, I speak in tongues. I will shock a Bible all day, every day. Like, if you hear me, I will pray in the spirit like nobody's business. But that will fade. Miracles will fade. Encounters. I've had tangible encounters with Christ. That will fade, but the word will never fade. It's been here for generation to generation to generation. It will not fade. When people are the most sought-after book to be destroyed, it has made it through time and time and time. So I value the word. I pursue the word, not miracles. I pursue the word, not encounters. I pursue the word. And so I value it. And so I, I love truth, and Jesus is the truth. And I remember in that moment, looking at the altar, and I'm just like, okay, if you're real, show me. I'll sell my life to you. And there was this open window, and I can remember without my mind 
connected to what was happening. I'm like walking down the aisle, like, and everybody's like looking at me, and I'm like crying, and I can hear all these like basically demons like, "Don't go, you'll die, you'll die," and I'm like crying, and I can't stop myself, and I just. It was like I was drawn to the altar, and I remember throwing myself down at the altar, and I just started crying. And in that moment, I felt the Lord, like, not in a way where it's like this huge encounter. I just remember the way I explained, like, I felt love for the first time. The very thing I was wanting and desiring, I encountered it at the altar. So I'm a big fan of going to the altar. I love the altar. I treat it as the most holy place. Like, for me, it's the best thing ever. And um, in that moment, I just remember crying so hard and feeling this love. And I remember in the moment of feeling that love, all the hatred, I, ha- I, was, I had a lot of hatred. If you would have met me like 10 years ago, I was not the nicest person. I was really mad. And I hated everything about life, and I hated everyone, and everybody knew it. And in that moment, like all hatred left. Like legit, didn't have to like pray for anything, it just left. Like I got off the altar and was like, I love my family. I love my mom. I love my dad. Like the man that tries to kill, that wanted to kill me, the mom who never wanted me. I had so much love for them. And to this day, my father is like my best friend, even though like he treated me like crap. But he gave his life to Christ three years ago, and so I'm so excited. And I just, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> like, you know? And my mom, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're taking steps. Hallelujah. She's going to get there. What day, Lord? Like, you know, but I, I truly love her. Like, when I sit with her, I have such a love. And if you never work with a drug addict who addicted to one of the hardest drugs where they're scratching and they're doing all the weird stuff in public and you're like super embarrassed like yeah that's my mom <laughs> like you know and everybody's staring and you're just like yeah Jesus thank you Lord hallelujah I love you mom like you know and I'm just grateful that I have a mom I'm grateful hallelujah no matter what it is so yeah that's a little bit about myself went to Oral Roberts University a Christian university in the middle of the country of, of the U.S. And that's where I really learned to pursue God. When I got saved, I carried over a lot of the tradition from Islam. So I was very fearful of the Lord that he would, like, smite me if I didn't, like, read my Bible every day or pray every day for at least an hour. Like, I was just very religious out of fear. And when, in that time in Oklahoma, God just really began in my room to set me free. Set me free. Like, I'm all about freedom now. Like, I'm like, Freedom! If you've never seen Braveheart, it's my movie. Braveheart, where he cries, freedom! Yeah, I, I love that movie. I, like, play that almost every month, at least, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love it. Hallelujah. And so that is, like, something I'm passionate about is freedom. Freedom to love Christ with everything you are. All right? And so, yeah, that time I spent at that university, I started doing prayer meetings and God just began to mark my heart for prayer. And, and that's where I grew in my walk with the Lord of intimacy, learning to lay before him. And that's when I desired, like, nothing more than Jesus. Like, I was just like, dude, if I never do anything in my life, like, I'm good. Like, the priest position is probably, like, the best thing. Like, we're pre- called priests for a reason, to minister to the Lord's heart. And there's no greater position. Like, you know, anything concerning the gospel, there's no greater position. I know there's doctors in here, but... Doctors can only save the body. Teachers can only teach the mind. But there's only the gospel that can save, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's no greater, greater position. And I believe that. But, yeah, I don't knock the doctors. Hallelujah. We need you. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit about me. Hallelujah. I love Starbucks. It's a great coffee place for me. Yeah. I love the beach. Yeah, that's great, too. Um, yeah, and I love reading. So that's a little bit more non-spiritual stuff about me. 
Um, <laughs> okay, so turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18. You guys, it's been a minute since I've preached in English and not had to have a translator, so I'm like, whoa, I could just talk. <laughs> I don't have to wait. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, perfect. Okay, I want to talk about... Siri not available. Okay, my notes. Okay, I want to talk about... I had a different message, and then the other day, God just at 2 in the morning was like, I'm pressing in in prayer, and I was just praying. And I never seek, this is the thing, I never seek God for a message. I'm just personally not like that. I just feel like when you seek God for who he is, he gives you something. Like, you know? So I, I had this message that I felt God had put on my heart, and then I'm seeking God in the middle of my time of worshiping and just loving on him, and he starts to burn in me a different message. And I'm like, okay, Lord. So I'm going to talk about the spirit of burning, being a burning man, like a burning man, or for you ladies, burning woman, you know, but a burning person, someone who burns for the Lord, like, you know, and um, basically in, in Ezekiel, let's just read it really quick, Ezekiel 18, let's start from 30, yeah, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me, they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood and the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it, out, pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This story comes from when, you know, Elijah's like on um, Mount Carmel. And he's like, yo, uh, King, what is it? Ah- Ahab. Oh, yo, King Ahab, call all the people of Israel. Call all the Israel. Call, call all of Israel. And call all the, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, or however you say her name. Maybe I should read it. How do you say her name? Asherah, something like that, you know? Asher, something like that. Someone we don't like. <laughs> Another God. <laughs> like, you know? But he's like, call all of them. But he's like, call all of Israel also. And I used to read over that and never thought like, oh. But then they all gather, right? And he's like, yo, we go do this thing. You guys build your altar, call on your God, and go see what happened. And he says, this is my turn. Like, you know, guys, like, the word comes alive. So this is how I... Say what happens. <laughs> so he's like, call on your God, the God that answers by fire, he is God, right? And sometimes we read that the God that answers by fire, he is God. Like he's like, 
Whichever God, you know, happens to answer by fire, he's God. No, he's declaring into them, like, the God who answers by fire, that's God. Like, you know, like, it's not like he's having this, like, the God that answered, that's the one that's going to be God. I almost feel like he's reminding Israel that the God that answered by fire when you guys were in captivity and led you out with fire and hail, that's still God of today. That is still your God. You need to remember the God that answered by fire for you then to bring you out of captivity. He's still God today. So the God of your life that has answered and done things that have like brought you into this place of salvation, he's still your God today. You know, no matter what other people are doing or saying or following after, your God is still the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow will always be the same God. Amen? So he's telling them this. I believe he declares it. Like some people read it and they're like, he's, it's, uh, you know the God that answers? No, he's like, yo, this God, he's God. So, you know, he goes through and so you, you remember the story. The prophets of Baal, they do their little thing. They're, they're praying and they're acting crazy and nothing's happening. They're cutting themselves. They're dancing. And the Bible says that they're prophesying. They're doing all this stuff and nothing's happening that, you know, you read it. Like Elijah starts mocking them. He's like, yo. Is your God sleeping? Maybe he has a phone call. Maybe he's out on vacation. Maybe he's just not answering, like, you know? And they're still doing all this stuff. So finally, Elijah's like, okay, my turn. And we know Elijah does all this, and this is what we just read. And when he does it, I love it because he, he almost creates this impossible situation. Like, he builds an altar. He takes a trench around it. And then he's like, add water. Like, you I don't know if you've ever started a fire, but I'm like a like country girl and I love like nature. But you don't put water on your wood. Like it doesn't start. That's why. <laughs> it's gonna give you a hard time. <laughs> and you never wanna find wood that's wet either. You know, you, you find dry wood because it starts quickly. And so he's like wetting it and then he's like, do it again. And it tells him, do it again. Like, do it again. Like three times, right? Almost like this impossible situation. And then he's like, he prays, and I love this. Because I'm all about the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we make it so complicated. And I'm like, it's so simple. But he prays this simple prayer. Very simple. It wasn't like this, like, oh, God, rain. And, and I, I pray like that. Don't get me wrong. But he's just like, God, like, for the, basically like for the sake of your name, like, bringing the hearts of your children back to you. Show up. He said that, too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And he's, so, you know, he's like, he's like, answer me, O Lord, answer me so that the people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. His heart was so burdened to turn the hearts of Israel back to the Lord because God put that burden in him. But it's like he did it for the sake of God's people to be turned back to him, not to be this big prophet or this big guy like, look at me, da 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 no, it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with people going back to the Lord. And so I, when, it, when I talk about burning ones, I'm not actually looking at Elijah's side. I'm looking at us being the sacrifice on the altar. That we would be the bulls that, like, you know, Elijah put the bull and he's like, cut it up. And he put it on the fire. And it was like this impossible situation. My challenge and what God always challenges me, like, I don't preach a message that God's not doing in my own heart. Like, you know? Like, this is where it's at. And God's like that, that challenge for us to be burning ones, that we would become the sacrifice. 
that we would no longer give a sacrifice. Other religions, you give a sacrifice, right? You take your sacrifice. I was in India last year, and I was there at the holiest time of the year, the holiest week, and it was the most disturbing thing I've ever saw in my life. I was like, at least with Islam, I didn't get, like, disgusted, but when they were cutting up animals in the street and giving it, like, to this idol, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to throw up. Like, this so dis- it was so disturbing. And so, like, every other religion, they give their idols something. But God asks us not to give him something, but you become the sacrifice, that he may send fire to you and set your life on fire for the sake of all that are watching may turn their hearts back to the Lord. We can pray for the lost. We can do all these things. But if you're not walking in a burning place with the Lord, people will look at you and not see anything different about your life. There's so many people I meet that are Christians that have never witnessed to anybody. No one even knows they're Christian. And I'm like, how is that possible? The greatest thing that could ever happen to you happened to you, and you have never told anyone. And your life resembles nothing of that. I'm not knocking anyone. I'm not. But I I, I read these stories of, like, Smith Wigglesworth. Anyone know who Smith? I know, Lauren, you know. Like, Smith Wigglesworth, anybody? You read these stories of Smith Wigglesworth when he would sit in a chair next to someone. Someone would jump up and say, you convict me of my sins, and they would run away. He never said one word to them. It wasn't like, yo, give your life to Jesus. You're, you know, you're living in sin. You need, you're going to go to hell. Give your life to Jesus. He never said one thing. He walked in such a burning place with the Lord that he carried a burning spirit that anything that came next to him, they were so convicted of a life not with Jesus. And I feel like God is calling not just us, but the body of Christ to come up to a place where we would burn, to see him burn on our own life, that other people would know him and turn their hearts to him. I don't know when the last time you sat next to someone and they were like, yo, you convict me of my sins. That's never happened for me. (laughs) But I'm like, God, I cry out for that stuff. More than I cry out for miracles, like I'm, I'm serious, more than I cry out for blind eyes and the dead to be raised, I cry out for, to God to set me ablaze. Because the, you can, we've, I've seen it, people can have a miracle, sadly to say, the blind eyes can open and they still might not give their hearts to Jesus. Sad, it's sad to say, like you know, like miracles sometimes will, will turn people to Christ, but a miracle without the truth to sustain it, it, it will fade. And that's why you get people who have encounters, and then five years later, they're not serving Christ. And you're just like, what happened to your encounter? Because a encounter without the truth, the gospel to be rooted in, it does nothing in the end. But I'm for encounters, and I'm for miracles, and I'm for the presence. Hallelujah. I'm all about that. But based in the truth, like, with a foundation of the truth. I'm all for it, though. And so, like, we have to come to this place where we analyze our life. And we, sit and, we, and we be honest, completely honest, and this is where it gets real. And we ask ourselves, are we living the life of a burning person? The disciples, when you look at their lives, death didn't scare them. And, it, and, it's, and, and I don't want people to think that it's this life of like, like the extreme like extrovert stuff. I'm for it. If you do that, that's fine. Hallelujah. Sometimes it happens to me. You can be the quietest person and people still sense the presence of God over your life. So it has nothing to do with outward appearance. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. 
but a burning spirit and a burning man can always be felt in the earth. Always. And I, I, I'm not saying I'm there. But I, that is the cry of my heart, and that's what I'm longing for. God set me ablaze. And God always tells me, then don't give me an offering. Become the offering. I'll send the fire when you become the offering. Because I won't send the fire on something that's not worthy. Nothing else is worthy but you giving your life to Christ in the sense of putting yourself on the altar and say, send fire to me. And so that's what I mean by the burning man. Not that it's like, oh, I just want to have a fire encounter. No. That we would burn with this passion, this zeal, and even farther greater than that, this, this, this holiness like, my prayer has been, burn me holy. I have no clue what that means, but I've been praying it. I'm like, Lord, I don't know. Don't you guys ever have that where you hear a prayer in your heart, and you're like, hey, I hear this in my spirit, so I'm a, I don't know. I'm going to pray it. And I've been hearing that, burn me holy. What the heck does that mean? I don't know. But burn me holy. I'm like, God, whatever that is, I want it. Burn me holy. Put me in the fire. Purify me. Burn me holy. Make me like you set apart like no other, that people, when they see my life, they would glorify you and turn their hearts to God. Like, I don't think about, I, I, I wish the body as a whole, that we wouldn't worry about the things, that we would truly set our hearts to see people turn to God, especially in the hour of the church that we're living in. There's no greater time for us to be living in this gospel message. I believe more than the disciples like, I feel like we're in the greatest time in the history of the church, but we're the weakest Christians to ever walk there, I feel like. That's my own opinion, but especially the West, my home country. Like, you know, because we're so focused about ourselves. We don't want to lay ourselves on the altar. Matter of fact, in the U.S., most altars are now becoming closed because of the whole satellite stuff. They don't want to disturb the other. And it's so sad. And I'm just like, what happened to the altar being holy? Like, you know? The altar is where you lay yourself on it. And God sends fire. God doesn't send fire to empty altars. Like, God didn't send fire to just, like, the wood. Like, he didn't. This wasn't a campfire. <laughs> like, you know? He had, you have to put something on the altar for God to send fire, and he's asking for your life. Your life is the most valuable thing you can give God. And I'm not saying, like, oh, don't do business. Don't do this. No, you can be the greatest businessman in your job set ablaze, that you would win more souls to God by your heart and the passion and the, the presence of God that you carry than even some of us that work in the church. Because that's the missions field is out there, you know? And so that's what I mean. And so tonight, my message wasn't really long. It's just the challenge to say, will you be a burning person for God? That all that are watching you would turn their hearts back to God. I love old-time revivalists. I'm big on, like, looking at old history because they had something that we don't have today. Like, when I read, I, I read, I was telling Stefan that I read a lot of stuff from the 1300s, 1200s, 1400s. I'm, I, I just love things from people who walked in a different time when it wasn't easy. It's so easy to be a Christian today that it's, like, super easy. You can post anything on Facebook, like, I'm a Christian, hallelujah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, then... <laughs> I do it too. Like, but then, like, they didn't have this type of life that we have available. 
half of them didn't even have the gospel in it, like written to a point where they could just get a Bible for free. Like, you know, like they lived in such a time, but their hearts burned. They burned. Like they would literally travail over the loss. Like, like how we weep over orphans. Like I, I work with orphans, so I, it breaks my heart when I see an orphan. They would weep over the orphan spirit that did not know God to the point where they literally would like cry throughout the night and refuse food because they wanted God to just move on them that people would know him. Like, you know, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, I cry for the orphan. Like, you know, I cry sometimes for the loss. Like I cry a lot for the Islamic community because I came out of that. I cry for freedom. But you're not going to catch me like declaring a fast just because. (laughs) Like I love fasting, but I fast for God's presence. Like not because I want to see people come to Jesus. And so God's like challenging me in that. Like, what's the most important thing to you? Is it just about you being in my presence? Is it that self-centered that you're all about, oh, me, 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 I need me, 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 Lord, me, my presence, your presence, your presence, that's all I need. Or do you care about people dying and that will never know me? Do you care? Like, Mika, do you truly care? And I'm like, nope. I see all this true. You can lie, but the Lord knows your heart, so you might as well be honest. I'm like, nope, Lord, I don't. Do you care that there's millions of Syrian refugees that don't know the Lord and that are dying and, like, you have not opened your mouth to even, like, ask for laborers or anything and cry out for the, the, injustice, that's, the injustice that's happening to that group of, people, the group of people? Like, Mika, do you care that in Libya they're starting to sell slaves again for $400? Like, Mika, do you care what's happening in the world? Do you truly care? Are you living a life worthy of what I died for? And I'm like, and this is where we have to be honest. Like, I can be like, Lord, but I love you. And I'm all about your presence, and I'm all about everything. But when I'm honest, I'm like, God, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I still go home and eat, and I won't think twice about it. And God has so challenged me to stop being inward focused about my own little church group, my own little missionary community, my own, like, yes, we're seeing incredible, like, in Iris, we see food multiply. We see kids lay their hands on the sick and, and like, blind eyes open. Like, we see that week in and week out. We see everything. And I could get so consumed in, like, Pemba. Oh, what's happening in Pemba? And God's like, yeah, across the world, just another thousand people just died. Didn't know me. And you are so consumed with yourself and what you're doing. And this isn't, like, a condemnation message. I, I hope it's not condemning anyone. This is just that. We have to be people that would burn to truly carry God's presence that it would turn hearts back to him. John Wesley said, God, he said to the Lord, set me on fire that all who see me may watch me burn. That was his prayer. Set me on fire so that all who see me may watch me burn. And so tonight I'm just going to ask, like, and this is like where you get real. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. You love Jesus. But it's like, opening your scope. And I, I know, and some of you may have been here and, and, and may have been a Christian a long time. Obviously, I haven't been saved that long. I've been saved nine years, and I'm still learning to walk with the Lord. I'm still learning how to serve God. I'm still learning how to be me in this gospel message. But I'm just going to ask you guys, like, if you feel in your heart, like, and this is where you examine your heart, that you have not burned for the Lord to the place that others would to give their hearts to Christ, 
then I'm going to just ask you guys, and I don't know, musicians, worship, whatever, how you do that. I'm not the best with altar calls or anything. I'm not going to ask you to come up here because I think it's a personal thing. I'm a person that believes in building your own altar. You can build an altar in the middle of Starbucks. You can build an altar in the middle of your job. You can build an altar in the middle of your room. But right where you are, I'm asking, if you feel like you have not given your life completely to this gospel, and some of you may have grown up a Christian, and that's amazing. I admire people who've grown up a Christian and had this incredible lifelong story with the Lord. Like, I'm like nine years in, and I'm still learning a lot. Like, you know? But just because you've walked with God 50 years or, I mean, probably no one in here for 50 <laughs> But, like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could have walked, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. Just because you walk with him does not mean you burn. It does not mean you burn. And in the world that we live in, God is looking for people to burn for him. He's looking for us to lay our lives on the altar and so he can send fire. You can pray for God to, like, do miracles. You can pray for God to do a lot of things. Bless you, bless your family, to heal. And God will do it because he's gracious and he's kind and he cares. And yet you still not truly burn for him. Burning for him. Not for the miracle, not for the burning so that people would know he's God. And I love the end of this story because it said, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. There's nothing sweeter than hearing people who do not believe in God all of a sudden in a moment give their lives to Jesus, saying he is God. I was one of those people, and there's nothing sweeter than that. Nothing than hearing people confess, he is Lord. He is Lord. When they turn down their idols, when they turn down everything that they thought was them, there's nothing sweeter than that. Even the Bible talks about angels rejoicing. There's nothing that makes, that moves the heart of the Father than people acknowledging who he is, turning away from their sin and saying, God, you're God. You truly are God, you know? And the way we, we I just love how it ended. It said that he, he did this impossible thing. And I think sometimes, like, I guess people, they say, Mika, you're charismatic. I guess. I don't know. I don't really know what I am. I have a lot of energy. Um, like, you know? And then people are like, oh, but, you know, it's God can't really use me like that, or I'm not really like you, or I didn't come from a different background, like you came from a rough background, so you kind of have more up on me. God could care less. He takes the most unusual people and sets them ablaze. He licked up the water. Licked up the water. That is impossible. Only with God can it be possible. God can take your little life. He can take your dysfunctional life, your, ina- your inadequate life, and your, I don't really have a testimony because I've been saved my whole life. I mean, grew up in the church. He can take the most impossible thing, and he can send fire to every area of your life. The Bible says it sent fire to the wood, the stones. I don't know if you've ever been at a campfire, but stones don't catch on fire. They don't. That stuff doesn't happen. They don't burn. They just get like a little ash on them, but they don't burn. Like a stone doesn't burn. 
God can take your life and set fire to it where you literally, everything in you burns for Jesus and the name of Jesus being lifted high and glorified over the nation. If you're t- and I know people get so tired of their life and they're like, like, I hear this a lot where it's like, I'm so bored with, with, like, with my life, with my walk with God. And I'm like, if it's boring, it's because you haven't died. If it's boring, it's because you haven't died. If you're still holding on to your life to try to keep it controlled and I want to be the, the Christian that does everything right or I want to walk a certain way and not look stupid, screw that. Look stupid. Look stupid. First Corinthians one twenty three. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Pray, God, make me a fool for you. Make me a fool for you so others can know you. But when we try to hold our life and be the perfect Christian that we think is the best thing because we don't want to be the weird one. No, no, God first. God forbid, I don't want to be the weird one. Who cares? Let God consume you. Let him consume you, every part of you. And if you feel anything I said, if there's anything, and if there's not, that's okay. Because I'm so confident in Jesus. If that's you in your heart, just build an altar. Do something. Don't sit in your seat. If it's kneel, if it's stand up, do something as a signifying to the Lord. I'm building an altar and I'm asking you to send fire on this altar of my heart. I'm asking you to send fire to every part of my life. I'm asking you, God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel, to send fire on everything I am, that nothing I have would be off limits to you. All that I am would be so consumed by your fire. It would be consumed by the holiness that you are. It will be consumed, not for me just to burn, but that all who are watching may watch and glorify you and turn their hearts to you, Jesus. Hey, hey, wherever you are in your walk with God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are living in the greatest time to be alive the greatest time to be alive and but we have like we're literally walking without the fire of God I read stories of old times where they would walk into hospitals and hospitals be cleared out I don't know when the last time you saw that where people will walk into rooms and everyone will fall under the presence of God Or people would be in prayer meetings and God's presence was so thick. People ran and left the room because it was too heavy and they were going to die under the presence of God because of their unholiness. Being in love is not enough. I feel like God's saying, yes, you love me. And that's good. But being in love requires even more than that. That's enough to, to just satisfy you. But what about others? What about my name being lifted? What about people coming and knowing me? I feel like God is saying, like, his heart is not that one be lost. But are there enough children? Are there enough children burning with the spirit of God on the inside of them that it turns the hearts of others to the Father? I don't know if you've lived a mediocre life and you're just examining your heart and you're like, you know, I haven't really been living this. All it does is it takes a sweet repentance of God. I apologize. I'm sorry. I repent. That's all it takes. God wants to send fire to your life. He wants you to burn. 
He wants you to not be the normal. He wants you to be someone who burns and carries his presence so thick through the earth that when you open your mouth or when you lift your hands or when you walk into the room, he seeps out of you. That he seeps out of you. Everything you do, he would seep out of you. So Jesus, right now, we just, I just, God, I just thank you. I glorify you. God, I'm not above anyone. I cry out for the very same thing, Lord, that you would send fire to my life. You would send fire to my life, that I would become a sacrifice, that we would become the sacrifice, God, that we wouldn't give you a sacrifice, that we would crawl on our own altar and say, send fire, God, send fire. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's like, God, how does that look? And when you hit it, it's, it's saying yes. All you have to do is say yes. Just say yes to burning, however that looks. I feel like God won't always show us in the beginning. No. This is what it's going to be. It's like, no, you're in on the journey of walking with me hand in hand, heart to heart. Where you become looking more and more like him to next thing you know you're burning like him. He's the ultimate burning one. And to burn like him, we have to behold him. We have to behold him. It's time of saying yes when you don't want to do things. It's time when saying yes when he asks you to do something that may not seem like it makes sense. My passion and my zeal for the Lord has come after many yeses. And in those yeses, I cried a lot. I was very, very like, Jesus, I don't know. When I sat at the airport those five days, I had no clue what was going to happen. I just was like, yes, Lord. I didn't know. I didn't know. I just, I just was like, okay, God, I'm trusting you. And in those five days, I just remembered dying to every fear and every thought of what people would think of me. And the fear of failing, of God failing me. And at the end of those five days, I just remember just this lady walking up to me. And in the end, just not telling her, I never told her anything. And this was a small airport, literally small, nothing like J&B. People, I looked homeless, it seemed like, but I didn't care. I just said yes. When I gave my life to Jesus, I just said yes. When I went to India, God just told me, go worship in the temple. Declare my name. It was during the most holiest week for those people when they're slaughtering things. I just said yes. I didn't know what would happen. I was even fearful that something bad could happen to me. But I was just like, God, I just want you. At the end of it all, I just want you. And the getting him and being made in the image and likeness of Christ in all areas of our life. It's through our yeses. It's through our yeses when he tells you. Go to this store. When he tells you, go get gas and pray for this lady. When he says, tell them this or tell, tell your, t- your son or daughter's teacher this. It's the yeses that lead up to us being made in the image of the burning one where we would burn like him. So I just, I just encourage you to give him your yes. Take the leap not knowing what it's going to look like. But just jump, knowing that your father is going to catch you. He's going to catch you. 
When you give him your yes, you're not going to fail. He's sure to stand strong. He's sure he's a, he's a rock that does, not, that does not wither or move. So yeah, Jesus, bye. Father, beloved friend, we just, we just love you. We love you more than anything. We love you. We do. We, we, we have such a love for you. We wouldn't be here if we didn't love you. But we want more than just being in love with you. For the love is only for ourselves. We want, we want more of you to consume us. We want more of our lives to look like you where it actually does something. Where it actually moves things in our reality. Where it creates this portal of heaven on earth. We want to be walking portals of heaven on earth. God, would you burn us to holiness that is like you set apart for this gospel. We want more than just being in love. God, we want more than just being lovesick, running to you to just to fall into your arms and gaze upon your beauty. We want more than that. That is enough to satisfy us as your beloveds. That's enough for us. But God, we want more to give out. More to give out. We want the overflow. The overflow that seeps into our reality. That's the more that we want. We love the love affair that we have with you. And we're so thankful and we're satisfied with that. Our love affair. I'm satisfied with that, God. I'm satisfied when the times you woo my heart in the secret place. I'm satisfied when you whisper my name. I'm satisfied when you sit me on your lap and you say, Shamika, lean your head into my chest that you may hear the song that I have for you. But all that it concerns only me. And God, I don't want to live a life that's self-centered. When the world around me does not know you, God, I'm crying out for the more, the more that will pour out into my reality and change things. Kiss me with the fire from your throne that will burn me holy, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.